Scene 1, Ringworld, Day. An artificial sun glitters inside an immense and slowly rotating ringworld. A once mighty space colony, now ravaged by war. A multitude of robots repair the damage and serve a ruling human elite, who live as royalty in mansions and parks, surrounded by shimmering force fields. Scene 2, Forest Workshop, Morning. In a serene forest, stoic workers in kimonos kneel in silence as they turn ancient crafts to a mysterious purpose. One worker carries a piece forward with solemnity to a large table where other treasures of glittering beauty are assembled upon a complex schematic. The worker bows deeply to Professor Reed and offers him an impossible geometry of blown glass, glinting with rainbow hues. Professor Reed bows in thanks before placing the component in its place on the table. The schematic seems to have a vaguely human shape. Scene 3, Gateshead, Afternoon. Gateshead sits in one of the ring world's most beautiful locations, a towering palace surrounded by meticulously manicured grounds, complete with dynastic banners flapping in the breeze. Scene 4, Dojo, Afternoon. Jane, a robot child, looks wistfully out a window. On Jane's chest is a badge like the make and model on a car. The alphanumeric designation of J4N3, above the chrome company logo of her maker, Air Industries. J4N3, Air. Jane walks to a shrine at the other end of the dojo and kneels down next to Bessie, a small companion robot in the form of a stuffed toy doll. They both look at the shrine bathed in a beam of sunlight. A framed photo of Professor Reed medals on his ceremonial lab coat, a vase, an ancient sword on a lacquered stand. They face the shrine and sit in silence. Jane looks at the photo of Professor Reed and smiles. She closes her eyes and lifts her face to the warmth of the sun shining through a window. Scene 5, Sacred Pool, Morning. A circular pool glitters in the clearing of a dark forest of exotic trees, moss, and gnarled rocks. A crystal clear and unmoving eye reflects the cosmic scene above the clearing. Stars in deep space, artificial sun, the far side of the ring world. Professor Reed, flanked by kneeling priests and with great ceremony, draws a large transparent card from within his layers of kimono. Head bowed, he holds the card high, walks across spongy grass and enters the pool. Water up to the knees of his kimono, Professor Reed approaches Jane's form floating high in the water on her back. He regards what was once a thousand artifacts laid out on a table. She is his schematic made real. Professor Reed lowers the transparent card and presents it before Jane's lifeless eyes. 
The card is a detailed high-tech and subtly moving artifact. Professor Reed sees Jane's frozen gaze through the intricate and strange holographic symbol on the card. After a moment, her pupils dilate. Jane sees a symbol before her, an image of the sun. She hears the almost deafening sound, the robot heart beating in her chest. The sun slips out of view, and Jane now sees the face of Professor Reed looking lovingly down at her. Scene 7, Dojo, Afternoon. Jane and Bessie are meditating before the shrine. A wooden practice sword crashes into the shrine. The frame photo is broken, the vase smashed, and the rest is scattered. What do you want? What do you want, Master? I want you to come here. Bessie takes Jane's hand as they both walk forward. John removes a baton from his belt. Stay away from that shrine. And bow to your master. He was my father, not yours. You have no father and can have no relatives who might die, so you have no need to make peace with any spirits. John puts his hand around a red and white striped collar, circling Jane's neck, like a strip of warning tape. Don't pretend to feel bad, you. You reject. She is a non-compliant device. See? It reads, knock. If she were a reject, they would have melted her down. John kicks out viciously, and Bessie sails through the air before sliding along the floor and crashing into the wall. He grabs the ancient sword from where it had fallen. This is mine. All this belongs to me. Or it will in a few years. And when I'm master of the estate, my sister and I will push you into the reactor ourselves. Jane turns and walks away. John follows her, raises the sword with both hands and swings it into the side of Jane's head from behind. Jane collapses face down. She lies on moving, her head clearly dented. John shrugs his shoulders and turns to walk away. After a moment, Jane rises to her knees, a blue-tinged tear falling down her cheek. Her hands close into fists. She walks forward. John attempts to hit Jane with the sword again, but Jane grabs the blade with one hand and slaps him hard in the face with the other. She rips the sword from his grasp and, screaming with rage, lifts the weapon to strike. John cowers and steps back. The sword comes down. Jane's neck is ringed in a flash of blue fire erupting from the red and white collar she wears. Jane convulses and falls to the floor on her back. John turns to see Mrs. Reed standing in the doorway, her arm outstretched, and her finger pressed against an ornate control device circling her wrist. Abbott, the huge security robot, steps past Mrs. Reed and moves slowly towards Jane's paralyzed but conscious form. Scene 8, Fusion Reactor, Night.
Mrs. Reed leans beside the disposal hopper that feeds waste to the household fusion reactor. Abbott, the huge security robot, steps forward with a complex-looking tool. <laughs> Mrs. Reed lazily peels herself away from the wall and steps forward to lift Jane's floppy arm from the stainless steel table on which she lies. Mrs. Reed lets go, and the limb falls back. Satisfied that Jane cannot move, she returns to observe from the side of the room. Abbott looks at Mrs. Reed. With a flick of her hand, she indicates for Abbott to proceed. <laughs> Abbott unceremoniously detaches one of Jane's arms. Abbott proceeds, limb by limb, to take her apart. Jane looks down at her own limbless torso, and as Abbott reaches for her neck with a tool, Jane's eyes roll back, and she falls unconscious. Scene 9, Gardens, Day. The grounds of Mrs. Reed's house are neat and colorful, in contrast to the patches of war-torn land beyond her protected domain. Many tiny robotic gardeners move about, keeping everything healthy and in order. Bessie is looking out a window at the gardens, when a military-looking craft flickers as it passes through Gateshead's force field and comes to rest on a circular landing area amidst elegant trees. Scene 10, Reception Hall, Day. The reception hall is all polished marble, Expensive artifacts sit in the recesses of the room. General Brocklehurst strides past the two guard robots flanking the entrance. He bows to Mrs. Reed, then looks down at Jane in pieces on a trolley. I did not realize you're offering one of your late husband's works. If I'm not mistaken, it's a bespoke creation of the master craftsman himself. You have a discerning eye, General Brocklehurst. No two of Professor Reed's creatures are alike. He made this last one before he retired. She's very small. Your designation? Jane Eyre, sir. J four N three. Jane. <laughs> Someone has a sense of humor. It wasn't a joke. My father loved me. Your father? Her creator, General, has cursed this one with some tedious character traits, some of which may serve useful to you. What use is a small robot with a nickname to me, however finely wrought? Mrs. Reed takes something out of her pocket and dangles it before General Brocklehurst. It is the red and white striped collar that immobilized Jane. It came off when we detached its head. It's non-compliant. <laughs> A knock. The way I hear it, most robots will readily tear an automaton to pieces, but will balk at ever hurting their cybernetically enhanced human masters, let alone, God forbid, 
a complete human being. This little nonk has no such qualms. She struck my son not one week ago. Don't worry. We can replace the collar once her head is back on her shoulders. And the triggers? Scene 11, Ceremonial Room, Day. Brocklehurst and Mrs. Reed kneel on either side of a glowing light table. Spread out on the table is an array of transparent holographic trigger cards. The sun symbol, which brought Jane to life, is there, but dull and gray, as used cards are. The others glitter and move. A heart, a sword, a skull, a flower, and more. Brocklehurst's hand roves over them before it recoils and he looks up at Mrs. Reed. <laughs> oh, General, do you fear one will trigger you? Protocol, Mrs. Reed. Custom also. One should not draw a gun unless one is going to fire. And certainly not someone else's gun. Well, metaphors aside, she is your problem now. Which do you personally require for her? Education? Brocklehurst indicates two cards. The brush with ink pot and the skull. Mrs. Reed wraps the two cards in a square of silk tied with a thin leather strap. She gathers up the remaining cards, placing them in a beautiful handmade wooden box. She expertly secures the lid with a gold ribbon, and on top of the knot, she places a little intricate web of gold circuitry, the size of a small coin. She strikes a long match, joins the flame to a rod, and directs the resulting molten wax to fall over the knot, a nanotech circuit. She finishes stamping her seal into the wax and placing the two packages before Brocklehurst. Scene 12, Docking Bay, Day. Jane is standing in a robust-looking shipping case. Mrs. Reed and Bessie stand before her. Human habits dictate that as you are the wife of my father, I should tell you that I love you. I do not love you. I dislike you the most of anybody in the world. Mrs. Reed reaches for the control bangle to punish her, but Jane grabs her wrist. You think I have no feelings? That I can do without one bit of love, kindness? But I can't. I'll never forget how you had me torn to pieces. I was in acne. Punishment. You made me suffer because your boy beat me and bullied me over and over again until I couldn't take it anymore. Jane lets go of Mrs. Reed's wrist and sinks to lie down on her side in the shipping case, bringing her knees up to fit in the tight space. Brocklehurst, clutching the box of trigger cards, strides up to witness Mrs. Reed's mouth hanging open in shock. Bessie reaches her tiny hand up to the lip of the shipping container and climbs up with difficulty. Teetering on the edge, Bessie waves goodbye at Mrs. Reed before Brocklehurst disdainfully pushes her over the edge of the container with the toe of his boot, slams the lid closed, locks it, and drags it away. Bessie's voice can be heard in the darkness of the shipping case. You are strange, Jane. 
sometimes I'm not sure you are one of us. Scene 13, Lowood, Night. Brocklehurst's ship approaches Lowood, a military training camp on a desolate moon. Scene 14, Dojo, Day. Miller steps forward, releases the locking mechanisms of the shipping case and tilts the lid up. Bessie's head looks over the edge of the box and Jane stands up. A large number of military robots and a scattering of human leaders are lined up in the dojo. You all see this? All eyes are on her. We can all see that she is a non-compliant. There are restrained mutterings of surprise among the troops. What I was about to say was that this unit's previous master, a lady of great importance and great charity, took this robot into her household reared her as she would her own daughter. Her kindness was repaid by an ingratitude so shocking that the good lady, fearing for her safety, installed an interrupt device into this nonk's collar. Had she not done so, her son would now, in all probability, be dead. Rucklehurst walks towards the troops, reaching into a satchel as he goes. He removes and holds high an object for all to see. A ring. A red metal ring. This ring, and a multitude like it, will bring our unruly recruit to heal. As you know, the robot mind is, amongst other things, an organ for learning. As such, I believe that this unit can be reformed and served a useful purpose among us, our clan. And in the course of all true humans in their struggle against the abominations that have spawned on Earth. Brocklehurst grabs a handful of rings from his satchel and tosses them into the air above the troops. As the rings rain down, the troops catch them and hand them around. Now put them on. One size fits all. The rings alter their size to accommodate any finger. Circle around and show me, one by one, that we are all functioning and are all in accord with my plan for the re-education of Unit J4N3. 